Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. Last Sunday, Nicole walked us uh, through a teaching on how to study and engage with God's word. She encouraged us uh, to eat the book. So not literally, if you weren't here, but actually uh, to consume the Bible uh, because it's God's word that nourishes us. It brings us into a transformative and personal relationship with the word made flesh. And so we talked about how to study God's word. She gives some tools to do that. And so that was meant to also be a helpful tool as we go into this book study of Galatians this summer. This week, um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time, hopefully not very much time, um, doing a high-level overview on the book of Galatians. Just again, just to kind of set you up for, to provide some additional context and things like that as we go into this study together. So I'm not, certainly not going to try and unpack the book. as Nicole and I were talking about like how I should approach this teaching, I wanted to feel like less of a uh, seminary uh, course, which I'm not equipped to teach anyway, uh, more of like reading Rainbow. It's like, here's what the book of Galatians is about. You should check it out and read and engage with it. Um, so just imagine that because I'm up here teaching. That's kind of what I'm going for here is reading Rainbow. Um, so the book of Galatians covers really important topics like Salvation through faith alone in Jesus and not by our own works. Um, It covers topics like living life by the Spirit. So we select this book because we thought that it was really would be beneficial uh, for our church body this summer to go through that. So we just encourage you to uh, engage with the richness of this book this summer. My hope today is to just help in a reading rainbow style to get you excited to engage with this book, to get you excited to eat this book this summer and to consume it. Uh, So that's where we're going today. Let me pray for our uh, time of teaching. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it's inspired by your Holy Spirit, um, but it's also written by um, uh, your your people, uh, your your leaders, the apostles of your church, God, that you co-created the scripture with with a man, but it's inspired by God. Thank you that we can trust these words, that we can uh, be transformed when they're applied uh, to our hearts and our lives, your Holy Spirit, God. And so I just pray that you would provide a framework and understanding for what you're trying to teach us um, in the book of Galatians today. Pray that you speak through me and all my um, imperfections as a teacher or tangents or, or whatever things I may run off on. Uh, would you just uh, be glorified and would Jesus be magnified during this time? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what I wanted to do is provide some context for this letter because I think that's you know a really helpful thing to kind of frame out um, your understanding for this uh, book. Since I'm not going to try and unpack everything with you today, I'm hoping that y'all will do that together uh, in community this summer. But here's some context for the book of Galatians. So this is actually a letter uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul, um, and it was written and addressed to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. So Galatia is in a region in modern-day Turkey, um, and this group of churches was here because Paul had actually gone on a missionary journey through Galatia, and while he was there, he planted churches. That's what he did. He was a missionary who planted churches. Uh, Much of the New Testament is made up of letters like this one, Galatians, but one thing that's kind of different about writing a letter now and writing a letter back then was that writing letters like these was a large and costly undertaking. 
So this is not the same as Paul sitting down to his computer and typing up a quick email and shooting it off to a church on the other side of the world or in the, another uh, region of the area. The framework and words of these letters were carefully planned. They were carefully structured and thought out. They were kind of worked out in the community, most likely as Paul was on missionary journeys with Timothy and Titus and other co-workers uh, along with him. And then after this structure of this letter was worked out, they hired a scribe. A scribe is like a professional writer who would write this letter out. And once it was completed, they would hand it off to a trusted messenger whose job it would be to carry this. They didn't have like the mail system, they didn't have email, so they had to trust it to someone to take it to the people that it was addressed to. And usually the people who were entrusted with that letter were also entrusted with being able to read it because most of the people in this day and age wouldn't have been able to read. And so they were responsible for being able to read it and then addressing the questions that oftentimes would come from the people. It's like, what do you mean about this? And so they had to be kind of know the content, not just be someone who read it. So there was a lot that went into creating these letters and getting them to the people in these Jesus communities all around the Roman world. So when we read a New Testament letter like this one, even one where if you've read ahead, if you've read any of the Galatians, you can see that Paul is like very emotional. He's written this from a very emotional place of anger and frustration. But even with that, know that this writing of this letter is a process that took a lot of time. It took collaboration. It took inspiration, certainly from the Holy Spirit. It took a whole team of people to kind of get this message into the hands of the Galatians. And then once, once they got it, they just circulated it around to other Jesus communities in the area. Whenever we study letters like these, especially like Paul's letters, like Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians, there's a lot of rich theology teaching about who God is and what to believe about God and his kingdom. And it's tempting to be able to just kind of treat these as like a manual, a theology manual, you know, a book that we go to to refer to what to believe about theology. The problem with this though, is if we only read it, like it's a theology book, that was not the intention of the original author or how the audience would have received it. This letter was written into, it's a letter, first of all, it's not a, it's not a theology book, uh, although it has a lot of theology in it. Um, and it was written to a specific group of people and it was written during a specific time. So there's context that's involved with what's going on in the situation it's important for us to kind of sort through and understand and bring to our study of the book so that we don't just leave that aside and miss the purpose of the book. So in order for us to apply this letter into the context of our world in 2023 in Fort Worth, Texas, and in our lives, understanding this original context is really important. So for today's teaching, what I want to do to unpack some of that context, that's all we're going to do is we're going to go through three kind of pieces of context. So why did Paul feel the need to write this letter? Why did the letter matter to the Galatians and why should it matter to us today? So that's where we're going. First, why did Paul feel the need that he needed to write this letter to the Galatians? Uh, I mentioned this before, but Paul is angry. You can pick this up like he just gets right after it, you know, and starts talking about how angry he is with the false teaching, how frustrated he is with the Galatians for believing this false teaching. I kind of imagine him kind of like, pulling at his hair a little bit. And so that comes through very early on in the letter. The culture war, or a culture war, of the Galatians' day was circumcision. 
and specifically whether or not Gentiles converting to Christianity were required to do this in order to become full members of the Christian church. So Paul was angry because these false teachers had come into the churches that he had planted after he had moved on, and they were teaching that this was, in fact, a requirement, that in order for you to follow Jesus, you need to keep aspects of the, of the Mosaic law. And this was the one that they were really kind of like drilling down in on. You need to be circumcised. But honestly, a lot of the conflict of the early church was around what specific requirements of the old covenant law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai and it kind of instructed the people how to live in the Old Testament, how much of that old covenant law must be kept by the followers of Jesus? Because at this point, the church of Jesus was made up of not just Jews anymore, but it was a mixture of Gentiles who were non-Jewish people and Jewish people. But the Jews were taught that Gentiles were actually unclean under the old covenant. But there was a lot of their, of their lifestyle and the way that they lived that separated them from God because they did not live according to his law. And so they just avoided Gentiles. So you can imagine how this would be kind of a, a point of tension in a community. You know, I mean, a lot of these churches that Paul was probably writing to were probably similar in size to kind of our gathering, you know? And, so it wasn't like a big, huge, like mega church that's going on in Galatia. There's a lot of house churches there spread out in the area. So did the Gentiles who wanted to follow Jesus need to be circumcised first? And Paul says, no, absolutely not. And then he makes it clear that this issue is broader than just this one issue of circumcision, which obviously only applied to the men in the group. But it was about whether all people Gentiles and Jews who were confessing Jesus as Savior needed to follow the Mosaic law. Things like whether or not they needed to eat kosher. Could you eat pig, pork? Did you have to observe all the festivals and things like that? And keep in mind that Paul and the apostles, I think we kind of think about, this is kind of a, a framework that's like a different context for us than it was for first century followers of Jesus. Paul and the apostles didn't view Christianity is like this new religion. We kind of think about today, like there's Islam, there's Judaism, there's uh, Christianity, and these are all just different religions. But back then, like in the early church, Paul and the apostles believed that really Jesus was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament law. He fulfilled everything. And so I think this is really important to keep in mind. They viewed him as the long-awaited Messiah through whom the entire world would be blessed. And Jesus, when he was on earth and when he was teaching, he taught that he didn't come to abolish this law that Moses had given the people of Israel, but instead he came to fulfill it. But what's very different here is that Paul makes it clear that there is a choice that needs to be made, that either you trust in Jesus to fulfill the law on your behalf, and the way that you do that is by trusting in his works instead of your own, and you trust in his ability to follow that law perfectly to earn your salvation, or you trust in your own ability to do that. And Paul wants to know why the Galatians would go back to living under the law when Jesus had set them free from, this, from completing the law and its requirements because he knew that they could not do it. So in order to make this case to the Galatians, what Paul appeals, how he appeals to the Galatians, is he reminds them about his own story. Paul was originally a persecutor of the church. 
And one of the things that I really like about Galatians is more than some of the, than any of the other letters in the New Testament, Paul gives a lot of autobiographical details in this book than he does in any of his other letters. And I think that the reason why we see more of that in this letter, because keep in mind, this is a costly, time-consuming thing. Like, why, why are you spending like two, two and a half chapters on kind of giving this context about your story, Paul? Well, I think it's because Paul's background is important context of the argument that he's making in this letter. In Paul's former life, he was a Pharisee. And Paul and many people in the Pharisee movement, not all of them, but most of them, saw this movement of Jesus followers as a threat to the people of Israel. They saw them as a threat to their way of life. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father, of my fathers. Uh, so Pharisees are like, they're like black belts when it comes to following the law. They eat, sleep, and breathe the law. They're like, they're like the shining examples of people who supposedly follow the law, the law really well. But interesting enough, God chose Paul, this person who was like a chief persecutor of his church, to be a chief messenger of the gospel, not to the law-following Jewish people, but he was actually sending him out to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, people who didn't know the law, people who didn't follow the law. So, so Paul's conversion stories come in chapter 9 of Acts, and we're not going to read through it here, but it's an incredible like 180-degree uh, turnaround in his life that shows the transformative power of Jesus and his gospel. So Paul understands firsthand, maybe more than anyone, that no matter how much someone tries to follow the law to a T, to follow it perfectly, it can't save you. So he understands this firsthand. And so we can feel some of that passion for this coming forward in the way that he's addressing these false teachers and the Galatians. Only Jesus can perfectly follow the law. Anyone who believes that they too can follow the law perfectly is what the Bible refers to as self-righteous. Self-righteous. <clears throat> so this is important context, and Paul goes into quite a bit of detail around his own story to reinforce why. Here's why you should trust me as the person who planted this church, then why you should trust these false teachers and their, work, and these, their words. So number one, Paul reminds them that he was a rising star in Judaism. So it's like, if you've got these false teachers here who are trying to look good by telling you you need to be circumcised so that you get counted for the numbers or whatever in the, in the tribe of Israel, he's like, hey, I was a rising star in this community, you know? Secondly, Paul lets them know that he was affirmed not by man, but by God. God is the one who chose him first and called him to this. It was Jesus Christ himself who called him to this ministry. And third, Paul then lets them know that he was affirmed in his ministry by the other apostles, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. They included Peter, they included John, it included James. And so he lays that foundation and says like, hey, listen, I have the authority to speak into your lives on this topic. So I need you to listen to me. And here is the case that he makes for the purpose of this letter. In chapter two, verse 16, he simply says, 
we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, y'all need to stop telling everyone that they have to submit to following the law because what you're doing is you're all becoming slaves to the law that you were set free from because Jesus met its requirements on your behalf. What they are sharing is not the gospel. Paul calls it a false gospel. It's bad news. It's not good news. We talk about the gospel a lot, and sometimes it can just kind of be assumed that the gospel is known and understood by everyone who hears that word, but it's not. I'm going to do my best to offer a summary of the gospel, just in a very simple form. God saves sinners, and he does so by sending his own son to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve because of our sins. And in doing so, Jesus becomes our representative and our substitute. So if that's the gospel, and if Paul is coming down so hard on the Galatians for believing in a false gospel because they have trusted in following the law, submitted to the law, even though Paul says it's like submitting to slavery, brings up a reasonable question. Why in the world would God even give the law if he knew that his people couldn't follow it. You know, have you ever thought about that? Was this like a mean trick that God was using to frustrate us? No, not at all. So the law had two very important purposes. And Paul outlines those two purposes to the Galatians. I think in chapter three, we're not gonna read it, but the two purposes of the law are this. There's a positive role of the, the law And there's also a negative role of the law. Starting with the positive role of the law. Before Jesus came, before God sent his spirit to live inside of believers, the law functioned like a guardian to keep God's people in line and show them his character and his desires for how to live. So it was an instruction on like, hey, follow God's law to understand his values and how to live rightly. But... The law also had this like negative role, and that is that it revealed their sin. It revealed their, the nature of their flesh. Because if anyone was honest, they knew that they couldn't successfully follow it. So it revealed that they weren't right before God. That's what the law did, and that they needed to be right or reconciled. And so God gave them this sacrificial system of there had to be the shedding of blood in order for them their sins to be forgiven. And of course, Jesus becomes the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sins. So for the Pharisees and the false teachers that Paul is rebuking in this letter, this first purpose of the law, the positive role, was everything to them. You know, they hung their hat on that in a hardcore way. But I think that they missed the second point, you know, the second purpose of the law. And Paul wants to make sure that the Galatians don't miss that because if we miss The fact that the law also shows us that there is something in us that's inadequate, that we can't keep the law, that we need forgiveness because that's our lack of ability to follow the law is what separates us from God. We're not going to be looking for a savior. And so we would miss the gospel. We would not need to trust in Jesus if we don't recognize this negative role that the law also has. When people trust in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, 
This is crazy. Listen, listen up, okay? When you trust in Jesus, what is true of him becomes true about you. Paul talks about this in Galatians 2.20. This is a, a great, powerful verse. You've probably heard it many times. I'm going to read it. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no, no purpose. If we could be righteous by just being good people and following the law, then Jesus didn't have to come. It's only because of this second reason, the negative role of the law, that Jesus had to come because you and I needed a Savior. So that's the context for why Paul wrote this book and why this is such a serious thing to him. He's like, this is not like a minor issue. Like, is circumcision a really big deal? He's like, no, this is a false gospel. We need to address it. But what's the context for the Galatians? What, why, what's the context that they received this letter? And why should it matter to them? So the Galatian churches were a multi-ethnic com community, okay? What does that mean? Well, it was made up, like I said earlier, of Jews and Gentiles, which didn't normally mix, didn't normally spend time together. It was made up of men and women. In a lot of settings, uh, men and women didn't spend time together in community settings. It was made up of people who were slaves and who were free. I think we can read these words and kind of gloss over them. Like, I'm trying to think of like what the equivalent would be in our day, but just sitting around a table with this diverse of a group of people, multi-ethnic, multi-gender, slave, free, like this is a radical, like gathering of people that is unlike anything else that the world has seen up to that point. All these people coming together around this table to share a meal together, to eat together, to fellowship together, to worship the same God together is radical. And this could only happen if everyone in that space and in that community was gathered around their shared identity as of Jesus as their king and God as their father. But as you can imagine, this was challenging sometimes. And when it became, really became a major issue is when people slipped back into their old identities, their old lives that they came from. So they came from Judaism, they came from a pagan background, and a lot of the corrective teaching in the letters that Peter and Paul and other apostles wrote is dealing with what happens in these communities when people slip back into their old identities and start to live in their old patterns of life, trusting in the things that they used to, used to trust in to give them their identity, their purpose, and their worth. So um, the Galatians were challenged by how to live out in this tension. Can you imagine like the tension of kind of like living out life in this community when someone has come from a Gentile background, somebody has come from a uh, a background of Judaism and faith. You've got men and women in here. We've got slaves and free. It's like, how do we live life together in community? So I think that submitting to the requirements of the Jewish law, it gave them this way of like knowing how to live. You know, like how do we live this out together? Well, there's the law, the Jewish law, that's a very specific prescriptive way for how we can live. And so I don't know this to be the case, but I think that in some ways that like having a checklist, because we're all kind of drawn to that, having a list of to-dos and the right way of doing things in some way is, gives us comfort in how we can like live life together, right? 
Um, but Paul is telling them that they are free from the requirements of the law. By submitting to that, it's actually like submitting to slavery because Jesus has fulfilled those requirements on your behalf. So they may be wondering, how are we to live this life together then? You know, how are we supposed to know how we honor God with the way that we live? Because I come from a pagan background, those people that are going to like these pagan temples and things like that. How are we to live if we're not just going to follow the law? And Paul tells them something very powerful. He says the way that you're going to do that is you're going to walk by the Spirit. In uh, Galatians 5.16, he says this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, context for like what the Galatians, how the Galatians church, what it looked like, context they received this letter in, why should it matter to us today? Like what's the context that we receive this? Why are we studying this book that is it's ancient, right? A couple, uh, two, 2,000 years old. Well, we also live in a multi-ethnic, multi-religious culture with a wide range of value systems, right? Most people, still desire a path to live rightly, to live the right way, right? To be good people. We're drawn to rules, we're drawn to checklists, we're really drawn to self-help books, those are always the best sellers, is how do I improve my life? Follow this five-step plan. But as much as we try and make it sometimes, Christianity isn't a framework for how to be a good person. A lot of people think that that's what church is about. A lot of people think that's what Christianity is. It's like, oh, I get it. This is a framework to teach me how to be a good person. That is not it, though. Christianity is the good news that God came to save sinners like you and me, like all of us. God came in Jesus to be righteous and good in our place and to take the punishment that we deserved. And then he gives us his spirit to dwell in us so that we can become a new creation. So that God's law is written on our hearts so that we can live this life out according to his will. So circumcision, kosher eating, things like that, those aren't the things that we like look to to be like convince ourselves that we're living the right way. Those aren't the, the tension points in the church right now, right? But because we're still human, all of us still look to other works and accomplishments to define and determine our goodness, to determine our value. We're not first century Christians, but we're still no less likely to try and build a religion that is Jesus plus something. Because that's what the Galatians were doing. And we try and do it as well, right? So practically speaking, how do we know if we're, in our context, actually living under the law rather than grace? Like, how do we live this out? And so I was thinking about this and I thought, at least for me, one way that's helpful that I wanted to share is it has to do with our defensiveness. Let me explain what, what I mean by that. Whenever someone is confronted or maybe convicted of something in their life, that of something that looks like the desires of the flesh rather than the fruit of the spirit, when someone is living under the law, what happens is we get really defensive, right? We get defensive, and what we try to do next is we try and justify our actions. And so rather than acknowledge that there's something that's not right in us, you say, well, let me explain to you. 
why I did that. Let me justify my actions to you. And I get really defensive because what I'm doing is I'm trying to protect myself. But if we are protecting our image and our reputation by doing this, what we're doing is we're doubling down on our own self-righteousness. When we double down on our own self-righteousness, what happens is we build a fake image on the outside. So while on the outside, we're trying to make things look good, like we are living rightly, when actually on the insides, this is where like the desires of our flesh can just thrive, you know? And unfortunately, we see this over and over again in church culture. We're often trying to become shiny, happy people. And my concern is that that is the culture that we try and invite the world into to try and show people that we have a framework for how to be good. Look at how good the people are that are part of this community. Don't you want to be good? <clears throat> but the reality is, it's like nobody is drawn to someone who is self-righteous. They're sort of like, you know, I really like that person who is fake. They say that they're like living a great life, but I can see the way that they're living behind the scenes. None of us are drawn to self-righteous people or self-righteous community and the reason why is because we know it's, it's fake, it's a sham. So we have to be careful that we are not living under the law by defending our living when it is not aligned with God's kingdom and his will. Because what we're doing is we're doubling down on being self-righteous. So what's the alternative for us then? Well, like Paul talked about, it's for someone to live under grace. This is how we truly experience freedom. When we're confronted with an area of our life that's sinful, that's broken, we don't need to defend it. You don't have to justify it. And here's why. It's because Jesus has already paid the price for that sin, for that area of brokenness in your life. He came to fulfill the law on your behalf. So you don't have to defend what you did. You don't have to defend your reputation. Because when we become followers of Jesus, we become baptized and we... Actually, part of that is dying to our reputation, dying to ourself, and being raised to live in Christ. We receive Christ's reputation. And so defending our own reputation and our self-righteousness is no longer the point. That's not what we're trying to do anymore. That is hopeless, and it's a sham, and it's fake. And so we very much... If we, if we are not careful, can lean into that type of a self-righteous lifestyle of living under the law. And so I hope that what we can wrestle with as we go through the book of Galatians together is what it looks like for us to be people under grace who recognize that we don't have to defend the things that we have done that are wrong. We don't have to justify ourselves because Jesus has already justified us on the cross. He lived perfectly because he knows that we cannot. <clears throat> So I'm hoping also that this becomes a rich gospel that people start to like around your lives. I know we've, some of you have invited neighbors into these Bible studies, maybe some people who aren't actively in a church. Maybe they opted out of a church because for whatever reason, what they've seen has not felt sincere. It hasn't felt like the message of Jesus. The way to show them the message of Jesus is a message of grace. It's the gospel that you're not a perfect person, that this isn't about protecting your self-righteousness or elevating yourself. It's about celebrating Jesus and his work on the cross. So my hope is that the truth of the gospel would become real and transformative to us. It would become real and transformative to the people that we are surrounded by because they sense that freedom and that release 
from trying to prove ourselves that we all try and feel when we're trying to be self-righteous. Another one of my hopes for this study is that we would consider what it looks like for us to be people who truly walk by the Spirit. If we are living under the law, if we are trying to be self-righteous, we can't be people who walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit requires us to walk in dependence on, um, on God in faith of the work of Jesus. But as we trust in Jesus and his saving work in our life, as we confess our sin and don't trust in ourselves to be good, what we do is we practice a new way to be human where we depend on God's Spirit in us. And one of the most well-known passages of Galatians is this passage at the end on the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to read it here in a moment, but I would love for us to just to pray for each other this summer that we would grow in our faith and dependence in Jesus and in his spirit, and that because of that, God would produce this type of fruit in us that's transformative, that's attractive to the world around us. So I'm going to read Galatians 5, 22 through 25. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So let's pray that God would produce this fruit in our lives this summer as we study this book, and that he would do that as we trust and depend on Jesus and his Spirit in us. So as we wrap up, just practical help. Nicole offered some practical help last week as we're kind of studying the Bible individual, individually. She introduced a study called Pictio Divina, a spiritual reading of the Bible that kind of helps you encounter and meditate on God's Word slow uh, as you're considering it, as you're praying through it, uh, so you just, don't just gloss over it. So that could be a helpful practice for you, maybe in, as you're studying Galatians uh, on your own. But we're also coming together to discuss this in community. And sometimes Bible studies like this, it's very easy for us to make a Bible study, a study about information and an analysis about other people. <laughs> you know, it's easy for us to talk about they, you know, and do a lot of uttering within a Bible study because that's a lot more comfortable than considering ourselves. But what we want to do is provide just a very simple framework to ensure that like conversation comes back to Jesus and his kingdom and how we can be transformed by his, his word and his spirit in us. So practically, we're just going to give you five questions. We're not going to be dogmatic about this. Like, you can talk about other things, but these are helpful questions that kind of bring you back to the type of things that we hope that you'll be discussing as a community. As you read a passage, we'll talk about it together. Who is God? What do these verses tell me about the true character of God, who he is, what he does, and whether I believe it or not? Second question is, what does God do? So in these verses, what is the activity that God does? What's his work? What are his promises? Especially through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And again, do I believe this or not? The third question is, who are we? So as we consider this, not just who are, are we collectively, but like, who am, who am I also? What do these verses tell me is true about mankind, about myself? Are they positive? Are they negative? And then, do I believe that or not? And then, what do we do, or what do I do? So based on these three questions, what might God be leading us as a community or leading me to do? What does it look like for me to 
put this into practice. Is God compelling me and leading me to do something? What does it look like for me to be actually to be obedient to God's word? Because when we get to the point that we believe God's word and we are obeying it, that's when we are going to see transformation through God's word in our lives and in our community. And then the last question that's just always helpful is how does this point to Jesus? Galatians and the entire Bible points to Jesus. Nicole reminded us of this last week when she was talking about on the road to Emmaus when Jesus, after he resurrected, appeared to a couple disciples and he spent time to talk to them about how all of the scriptures pointed to him. And so this is a helpful practice for us to be reminded that scripture is meant to point us to Jesus so that we can be transformed, so that we can become more like him. And so I hope these questions are helpful for you. Don't feel like you have to follow them to a T. But again, the point is, is that we don't just let Bible study become a surface level study about information and context and how does this apply to other people who are not in this community. But what do we need to take from this? What does God have for us? And so I'd invite you to wrestle with those things in community. So with that, I'd like to lead us into a time of communion. So there is communion on your tables. There are crackers, there is wine, and there is juice. And as we take communion today, I would like to read Galatians 2.20 again to prepare our hearts. And here's how I want us to think about this. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, when he gave us communion, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he instructed them to dip that bread into the wine. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm making a new covenant with you. And it's sealed with this wine, but it was represented with his blood. And so Jesus on the cross, his body was broken. His blood was shed so that you could be made right. And he has sealed a new covenant through that work on the cross. And what that means is that your identity of who you were before is gone. The sin, whatever you have done, is washed clean because of Jesus. And instead of getting what you received or what you deserved by the life that you've lived, God has graciously offered you an identity in Jesus. You receive the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it means when we take this bread and this wine. And so let's flip to the next slide, please, Paul. And then I actually want us to read this together out loud as a confession. Let's read this together, and then let's take this bread and this wine and remember our sin. I have been crucified with Christ. It is the only longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for righteousness were through the law, and Christ died for no purpose. Take and eat and remember. Father, we thank you that while we were your enemies, while we were separated from you because of our sin and our fleshly desires, you sent your son Jesus into this world to pursue us to bring us back to you, not to teach us a way of how to live good, but to be good and to be righteous on our behalf. We thank you that Jesus lived perfectly, that he fulfilled the law perfectly because we couldn't. 
and that he took the punishment that we deserved on the cross because the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus took that death on himself. And even though we deserved death, you gave us the righteousness of Jesus. You gave us the right to become your children, to become heirs in your, in your kingdom, God. So we thank you for a transformation that we get to experience through Jesus. We thank you that you have not left us alone to figure it out, to try and be righteous, and to try and build our own religion, but you've sent your very spirit to live in us, to guide us, to show us what it looks like to be your hands and your feet, to live according to your will, God. Help us to be people who walk by the spirit, who trust and rely on Jesus and his work in our lives and who proclaim the good news of this gospel to everyone that we encounter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.